Do you ever read through the scriptures? You read through Acts. You read through the Gospels. Maybe you read through the book of Judges or the prophets. And you see the power of God so evidently displayed and manifested in, the, in people's lives. And, and, you, and you, you look at your own life and you say, man, that's just, that hasn't been my experience. I see the Lord working so powerfully through other people's lives and I don't feel like I have that going on in my own life. The Bible talks about, about freedom. And I feel like I'm still in bondage to sin. The, the Bible talks about holiness. And I feel like I'm, I'm anything but holy. The Bible talks about grace. But I, but I always feel so condemned. You ever read the Bible and you just see this kind of contradiction? And, and does that ever bother you? Seeing that? You, do you feel sometimes like, like, like something's missing? Like there's something lacking in your Christian experience? We hear all the time that, that the gospel has the power to transform, that the gospel has the power to change lives. But sometimes our lives just don't feel that different, do they? As we'll see in this passage, we're talking about the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And what that means to us as believers. As we move into this last section of John chapter 14 this morning, again, I want to draw your attention to the fact that Jesus, this is, is Jesus' last night with the disciples. And he's been letting the disciples know that he's going away. He's been giving them this, this set of instructions. And we see that throughout chapters 14 through 17, really. Jesus sort of giving the, the same instructions, the same commandments to the disciples over and over again. When I used to frame houses, I, um, I would write lists for my guys all the time, especially if I had to go to another house. I'd leave detailed instructions. I'd, I'd, I'd grab a two-by-eight, and I'd write, on the, write everything they had to get done. I'd write these punch lists, and I'd nail it to the wall. You know, and, and, and guys would get done with what they were doing. They'd always say, hey, Joel, what do you want me to do next? Did you look at the list? No, please refer to the list, right? I send them back. And essentially, that's what Jesus is doing here. He knows that he's leaving soon. And so he's making a list for the disciples. He's giving them instructions on, on what to do in his absence. And he seems like he's doing it over and over again. He's so repetitive here. But what he's doing is he's making sure the disciples really understand. And, and, and as I said, the rest of the chapter really is mostly just review on what he's already told the disciples earlier in the chapter. And as I read through this, I see six things, six topics that the Lord refreshes the disciples' memories on. Six things he wants to remind them of before he goes away. The first thing we see in verse 19 is the reality of the resurrection. The second thing is having a true love for the Lord. We see that in verses 21, 23, 24, and 28. Thirdly, we see the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when we come to the Lord. We see that in verses 23 and again in 26. We see the divine inspiration of the Word of God. 
We see the divine peace of God in verse 27. And we see the reality of the spiritual realm in verses 30 and 31. So we see six topics, six things that we could easily teach a whole sermon on. So I hope you brought a neck pillow and a snack because we might be here a while. And, you know, and here's the thing. As I'm studying and as I'm prepping for my sermons, there's a, there's a temptation to say, you know, we've, we've already talked about these things a couple times in the last couple chapters. Can't we just, can we skip this review? Can't we just skip ahead and move to chapter 15? I really want to talk about, about the vine. You know, let's, let's just kind of brush over this. But here's the thing. Jesus found these topics important enough that he felt the need to repeat them over and over to the disciples to make sure that the guys really got it. And Paul was dealing with a similar issue as he was writing to the church in Philippi. And he tells them in chapter 3, and I like how the New King James translates it. He says, For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Paul says, look, it, it might seem tedious. It might seem boring. It might seem like, like the pastor's going on and on, parroting the same things, like he only knows a couple words. He says, but for you, it is safe. It's safe. What Paul is saying is we need to make sure that we hear these basic foundational truths so many times that we know them by heart. You've probably all heard people talk about, about muscle memory. We've talked about this idea before. In sports, or wrestling, or martial arts, or whatever. You, know, you practice one move so many times, so many hundreds and, and thousands of times, that it just becomes instinct. You know, when I wrestled, we did double leg takedowns hundreds of times every day. And you, know, you don't have to think about that. Anymore, or you're, maybe you're, maybe you've done contact sports, and you, you know, you don't have to think. Okay, I want to throw a, I want to throw a cross, so I need to turn my hips, and I need to extend all the. Wait, that's not how it works. You've done it so many times that it just becomes instinct. My son Isaiah has been learning to play guitar, and it's so cute watching him. He's got this giant guitar, and he's so little, and he's up there, and he's. He's playing a G, and then he switches to a D, and he has to stop and kind of look at his fingers, you know. And But when Matt's up here playing or Chris is up here playing, they don't have to stop in between, okay, now how do I, how do I play a G again? My first finger goes on the A string on the second finger. That, that doesn't work like that, right? They've done it so many hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of times that their hand just automatically goes to the spot, right, that muscle memory. That, that's what we're talking about here. That same thing happens to us spiritually. As we hear the same things, as we hear the same truths over and over again, week after week, month after month, year after year, they begin to become our nature. It begins to become <coughs> who we are. And that's why we at Calvary Chapel, we go through the scripture chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Right? We call it, expositional teaching, expositing, exposing what the Word of God says. And as we go through the Word verse by verse, we get exactly the right amount 
of each topic. We get the amount that God intended. Because, you know, kind of human nature as people, if, if I'm just up here picking the things that I'm going to preach on, I tend to focus on the things that I like to talk about. And I tend to, to stay away from the topics that I don't like to talk about or the topics that are, that are difficult. But as we go through the Scripture chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we get what Paul refers to as, as the, the, the full counsel of God, right? The, the complete message of Scripture. So go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 14. And we're going to start in verse 19. The first topic we see here, the, the resurrection. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus says, listen, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm going away. The world isn't going to see me anymore. But he says, you guys will see me again. He says, look, I'm going to die. Tomorrow morning, in fact, he says. I'm going to be crucified. My, my blood will be shed for the forgiveness of the sins of all mankind tomorrow. But I'm going to come back to life on Sunday. And you're going to see me raised from the dead. And then you will know that all the things that I said were true. And you will know that, that I was sent from the Father. And then he says, you will be in me and I will be in you. So the first topic we see here is the promise of the resurrection. And there's actually a couple promises in this verse. First, Jesus promises that he's going to die. Right? He very plainly tells the disciples, I'm going to die. He laid down in the previous chapter. And then he promises that he's going to come back to life. And in reality, all of us can promise that we're going to die, right? That, that's not a big deal. We're, we're all going to die. But how many of us this morning can say, you know what, I'm going to die. But don't worry about it because in a few days I'm going to come back to life. God told me. If I were to tell you that, you're a little bit crazy. But Jesus says, look, I am going to die and I'm going to come back to life. And because I will live again, so will you. And he's talking, of course, about the resurrection from the dead. But I think that there's more than that here. He says, look, when I come back to life, when you witness that, when the Holy Spirit comes, Paul says it this way. He says, you will be made alive who are dead and your trespasses and sins. He says, we are made alive in Christ. We are born again. And there's three Greek words for life in the New Testament. There's bios, where we get the word biology, right? And that just means physical life. There is the word sukei, which is sort of like your thought processes. You know, you, who you are mentally. And there's the other word for life we see in Koine Greek. It's zoe. Some of you guys have heard this before. Zoe, it means, it means life. But it tends to mean eternal life. And, and, it, and it's not speaking about length of life when we talk about eternal life. It's talking about quality of life, not quantity. It's talking about living the abundant life. 
And, and that's the word that Jesus uses here, this, this Zoe, this, this eternal life, this abundant life. And it's important to note when we're talking about eternal life, you know, a lot of times we, 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 we kind of think this way. We talk about, oh, we live and then we die, and then we enter into eternity. But that's wrong thinking. That's not what Scripture teaches. For us, eternity starts the moment that we're born again. And so Jesus is talking about that, and he says, look, when I come back, I'm going to bring you this, this new kind of life, this, this Zoe life, this, this abundant life. And so that's the first topic we see here, that Jesus will die, that Jesus will rise from the dead, and when he does, everything will change for us. We can find abundant life. We can find real life. Not just breathing. Not just living. Not just eating and, and eking out some miserable sort of existence. He's talking about, about real life. About the quality of our life. When the supernatural life of God is placed within our lives, and, and that's what happens from Pentecost on, when every single person, when they come to Christ, the Holy Spirit enters our lives. And, and, and that's the first thing that we need, by the way. Before we look at anything else, if you don't have Jesus, if you've not been set free, if you, if you haven't been born again, none of the rest matters. Right, that's the only thing that matters. And Jesus says, look, if that hasn't happened yet, you're not experiencing real life. If you haven't given your life to the Lord yet, he says, you're not experiencing the abundant life. And I remember when I was young, you know, I was, I was a pretty active believer. You know, and I would share my faith with people. And you hear this kind of thing all the time. You know, I don't want to be a Christian. Maybe when I get older. You know, you know, the Christian life is boring. Christians are miserable. Christians don't do anything, you know. I don't want to become a Christian because I don't want to become boring. And ironically, now that I'm older, that all sounds so good. Man, I, I like being boring. <laughs> I like not doing anything now. <laughs> but, you know, we kind of hear this thing. And, and I don't know about you, but man, as a believer, I love life. I love living. I have so much fun all the time. I love serving the Lord. I love church. I love serving the church. My life is absolutely full of joy. And it's not perfect. I'm not happy all the time, but I have an abiding sense of joy. And it's ironic because a lot of times people think that I'm upset. I guess I have this. That, that's my default. You know, are you upset, Pastor? And, and, and if you know me, that, that really is just kind of my default face. But anybody who knows me knows that I really, I am generally a very happy person. Man, I, I love life. I, I'm full of joy. And that comes from knowing the Lord and walking with Him. And that's the joy that the Lord wants all of us to experience. And the second topic we're going to look at, it, it really flows right out of the first here. This joy that we're talking about, it, it, it's the result of living in submission to the Lord. Peace of God 
that we're going to look at in a moment. It's the result of obedience to God. Look what Jesus says in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by the Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. The word commandment there, when he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it's not referring to a, a this is really rattling a lot. Do I have the other mic in here? not referring to a specific command. It's not referring to the, um, can I make it? Okay. Yeah, it's not referring to the Ten Commandments. What it's referring to is sort of the, oh, I like this. I've got, I've got three of them working right now. It's referring to sort of the general teachings of Jesus. It's a whole collection of Jesus' teachings. And, and the churches are full of people who say, yeah, I love Jesus, I worship Jesus. But you know what Jesus says? He says, this is how you tell if you really love me. Do you accept and obey my commandments? And we see there's two parts there, right? Accept and obey. First of all, we have to accept the teachings of God are true. And that's obvious, I think, right? Those who, who refuse the teachings of Jesus, you know, this turning the other cheek, you know, that's nonsense. Loving your neighbor, you know, don't gossip, don't judge, don't condemn, feed the poor. I'm, I'm taking care of myself. It's obvious that those kind of people don't love Jesus. First, we have to accept his teachings. But there's another class of people that we see in the church all the time. There's many people in the church who acknowledge the truth of Jesus' message. They acknowledge our need for grace and salvation. They understand that, that we need to be loving and gracious and merciful and, and compassionate to the suffering. They understand that we need to be lights shining in the darkness. They know the teachings of the Lord. They understand his commands, but, but they refuse to do them. They understand what Jesus requires, but they refuse to actually walk in obedience to the Lord. They refuse to actually help the poor. They refuse to stop gossiping and judging. They refuse to be compassionate to the hurting and needy. They refuse to keep their pants on. And Jesus says, look, if you really love me, you'll obey my command. And that's a simple test, really, isn't it? We say we love Jesus. Jesus says, okay, you, you, you have the words coming out of your mouth. But do your actions line up? And this is what Jesus says. If not, you don't love me. If your actions don't line up with your words, you're not his disciple." And you preach something like this, and all the time people will say, well, who are you to judge me, pastor? Nobody, and I'm not. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just telling you what the Lord said. And if you're feeling judged, that's the Holy Spirit. right? That's him speaking into your hearts this morning. 
He goes on, he says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Is that to say that God the Father and God the Son only love people who love him first? Of course not. Right? We see in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. It's not the other way around. You see what Jesus is saying here? The implication seems to be that when we obey the Lord, we get to experience the love of God in our lives. It's not that he doesn't always love us, but that love is, is realized. That love is manifested in our lives in an experiential way when we walk in obedience to him. He says, first, I will reveal myself to you. I'll manifest myself to you. And manifest, it means, right, to, to make real, to make known. And, and I think that as we obey Jesus and we show our love through our submission to him, Jesus will become more and more real to us. And we'll experience him more and more. We'll get to know the person, not just facts about him. He reveals more and more of himself to us as we continue to walk in humble obedience to him. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? I always chuckle when it says Judas, not Iscariot. Right? Judas was a very common name in those days. Well, we don't have a lot of Judases running around today, do we? Right? Not many people name their kid Adolf. There's not a lot of Stalins or Idi Amins running around. Right? The, the, the name sort of has a, a, a negative connotation now. And so John, I think John was just being nice here. He wanted to make sure that this poor Judas didn't get confused with the bad one. So he says, Judas, not Iscariot. In other places, he says, Judas, the other one. Right? Just, just make a little definition there. So Judas, oops, Judas, not Iscariot, he says, why are you making yourself known to us and not to everyone? Why are you revealing yourself to us but not to the whole world? Why don't you just write the gospel in the sky, Jesus? Why don't you just spell it out in the stars? Why don't you just use the, use the wind to proclaim your word? And Jesus is sort of cryptic in his answer here. And he doesn't directly answer the question here. Look at what he says in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus basically just repeats exactly what he said previously, doesn't he? He says, people who love me will obey me. And those people who obey me will experience the work of God in their lives. And Jesus says, 
we will come in and make our home in them. And this is an interesting note here. Last week, as we were looking at this, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we saw that when we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He takes up residence in our hearts. And now we see also that the Son and the Father take up residence in our hearts. We see the, the whole of Trinity, the whole of the Trinity uh, uh, abiding within us as we, as we walk with the Lord. One of my favorite uh, Bible teachers, Brian Broderson, said this. And this is a great quote. He says, the essence of Christianity is this. The life of God in the souls of men. You have become the home of the Lord. And I love that last part. You have become the home of the Lord. Isn't that cool? Do you realize how amazing that is? How crazy that is that God, the, the creator of all things, God, the one who spoke creation into existence, has come into us as Christians, and he has taken up residence within us. And at first we say, wow, that's amazing. Then we say, oh, wow. That means he was there last night. God was with me. When I went there, when I did that, that, that reality is a wonderful truth. But it's also a sobering truth, isn't it? Wherever we go, whatever we do, we're carrying the, the triune nature of God within us. And Jesus says, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And here's the fourth topic. Jesus reminds us of the divine inspiration of the scriptures. These words that we're reading together, these passages of scripture that we're, that we're studying together, right? this isn't just a math book. This isn't a history book. It's not a sci-fi novel. It's the breath of God written down by human hands. It's the heart of God transcribed for a lost world. This, this Bible, it's, it's the mind of God communicated to the souls of men. And Jesus tells the disciples here, he says, I'm not just making this stuff up. This is the Spirit of God speaking directly into your souls. And you need to understand that this morning as, I, as I'm proclaiming the Word of God. It's not, hopefully anyway, it's not just me up here talking, but it's the Holy Spirit communicating to our spirits through his word. It's living, and it's active, and it's powerful, and we need to understand that. This, this Bible that we're holding, or this Bible app that we have on our devices, it's the voice of God. It's the word of God spoken to us directly from the heart of the Father. It's amazing, isn't it? These things I have spoken to you, verse 25, while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
So verse 25 and 26, they sort of take us back to that third topic that we were talking about, this divine indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we experience as believers. And we talked about this last week, how, how the Holy Spirit is in the world, sort of alongside everybody, drawing people to Christ. At our conversion, he comes inside of us, he indwells us, and then thirdly, he comes upon us, he gives us a special empowering for ministry. So Jesus here says the Father is going to send an advocate, a helper, the paracletes, the Holy Spirit, and he will teach you, he says, and he'll remind you of all the things that I told you. And you ever think about that? Right? The, the Gospels were written, John especially, John was written decades after Jesus lived and died. How did John remember everything? How did he know what to write down? It says here that the Spirit brought to remembrance and told them the things to write down. When I teach a Bible study, when I'm up here on a Sunday morning, it usually represents around eight hours of studying, preparation, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, plus 28 years of previous experience preparing Bible studies. And I research, and I will try to look at the relevant Greek, and I'll see how it applies. You know, I'll, I'll listen to messages. I'll read commentaries. But oftentimes, I find that I, that, I, that I can miss the heart of what is being communicated in the scriptures. And there will be times that I'll be up here teaching, I'll be going through my sermon, and all of a sudden, in the midst of my teaching, the Holy Spirit will be teaching me. And all of a sudden, I'll get a new insight, and I'll realize what the scriptures are saying. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. The Holy Spirit teaching us through his word. And I think we've all experienced this if, if, we're, if we've been believers for any amount of time. You can read through a book of the Bible, and you get a lot out of it. And you read it again, and you get something new. And the 37th time going through it, well, how did I miss that? I, it's Because it's a... It's alive and it's active and it, and it meets our needs wherever we're at. And he says this, I will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. You ever had that happen? You're talking to somebody, maybe you're sharing your faith, you're discussing spiritual matters, and, and the Lord brings to remembrance a verse that you read eight months ago. Some weird, vague verse in Lamentations. And it's just right for that situation. That's what he's talking about. The Lord will, will bring to remembrance the things that we need to say. But here's the thing. In order for the Lord to bring to remembrance the word of God, what has to happen? We have to already have it in us, don't we? We have to already know it. We have to already have been taking in the word. It has to be filling our, our hearts and our minds and our spirits. And then he can bring it out at the appropriate time. So Jesus here, he's talking about that indwelling of the Spirit. And every believer has this indwelling. When we're born again, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. 
It's, it's, it's that simple. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, you are not a believer. Listen to what the apostle tell, Paul tells the church in Rome. He says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, then he says, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. It's very clear, right? Paul says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. That's, it's, it's very straightforward. If a person doesn't have the Holy Spirit, he isn't a Christian. Then he goes on in verse 27 and kind of transitions that into the fifth topic. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. We talked about this idea of peace a little while ago, a few weeks back. Jesus earlier said the kind of the same thing. Let not your hearts be troubled. And the end of the chapter kind of deals with the same thing. In Israel, a common greeting for hello and goodbye is shalom. If you're coming, you're going, you say shalom. And, and that word shalom it literally means peace. And, and that's sort of what Jesus is telling the guys. He's sort of playing on words a little bit with them. He says, I'm giving you my shalom. I'm giving you my hello and my goodbye. I'm leaving you, but I'm leaving you with my peace. And people, people want peace, don't they? People are longing for peace of mind. That's why... People buy life insurance. That's why people build bomb shelters. That's why people fund retirement accounts. That's why people pay for, for police forces. Because all those things bring us a, a, a degree of peace, don't they? But it's, it's the world's peace. And that's different from the kind of peace that we're talking about here. That's different from the peace that Jesus is referring to. Jesus says, I'm going to give you my peace. This is a peace that I make. This is a peace that I create. This is a peace that, that only I can distribute. This is different than the world's peace. And we're going to see in a minute that that peace isn't even available to the world. Remember Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4. He says, be anxious for nothing. But in all things, let your prayer request... Let your prayer and supplications be made known, made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So he's talking about this peace of God that surpasses all understanding. That's different than the peace that the world offers. We're talking about, about the comfort of the Holy Spirit. This peace, we're talking about the Spirit of God that comes alongside of us in the midst of hard times, in the midst of, of brokenness and pain and heartaches, in times of loss and suffering. He brings us comfort. Jesus says, look, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't stress. Don't freak out. Just trust in the Father and trust also in me. Jesus here says, listen. I'm going, but I'm leaving you a gift. I'm giving you peace of mind. I'm giving you peace in your heart. 
the world is so full of conflict. You watch the news and, and, and there's so much divisiveness. Our lives are so full of conflict, relationships. There's turmoil, heartache, suffering. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace. In the midst of all that, you'll find peace in your heart when you're walking with me, when you're walking in obedience to me. And know what Paul says in Philippians 4, the next verse, he says in verse 9, keep putting into practice what you learned. Walk with the Lord. Walk in obedience to the Lord, he says, and his peace will be with you. As Christians, we have this amazing, wonderful gift, the peace of God, this peace that's different than the world has. And, and you know, the world has peace sometimes, but their peace is really just sort of a, an absence of conflict, isn't it? For a few minutes, maybe, the, the kids aren't fighting, and your wife isn't yelling at you, and, you know, and the dogs aren't barking. Oh, I got peace. Right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about peace when the world around you is in chaos. When your kids are fighting. And when your boss is yelling at you, and when they're stressing your relationships, talking about this, this supernatural calmness in our hearts. And Jesus says that that peace, it's not available to the world. It's not even available to all Christians. It's available to those who are walking in obedience to the Lord. Verse 28. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus says, look, I'm going home. I'm going back to the Father. And I'm excited about that. And he says, look, you guys are stressed because I'm leaving. But in essence, he says, well, what about me? If you really love me, you'd be happy for me. And this is sort of an interesting idea here. Sometimes we get, we get so caught up in our own drama. We get so caught up in our own little days of our lives, soap opera life, that we forget about the Lord. We forget to say, you know, what does he want? What does he have to say? We, we so often talk about having a, a personal relationship with the Lord. But so often that relationship is totally one-sided. Lord, I want this. Lord, I need this. And we never stop to ask, Lord, what do you want? Lord, what do you think? Lord, how do you feel about this? We've been talking about the Holy Spirit. And some people from, from more charismatic churches, they'll say, you know, Calvary chapels, they're not into the Holy Spirit because there's no speaking in tongues in their services because there's nobody up there waving flags because the pastor doesn't even have a suit jacket to wave around and knock people down. We are into the Holy Spirit. 
we're all about the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that we long for more than to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be directed by Him, to be empowered by Him. We want to hear from the Holy Spirit. As a church, we want all that we do to be led by Him. And I think that this is the primary reason why we are not experiencing all that the Lord has for us sometimes. I think this is why in our lives, our experiences don't seem to match up with what we read about in scriptures. Because we're not experiencing all that the Holy Spirit has for us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he's talking about this, this, this great gift that we have, this this, this treasure that we've received. And it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. And he says we receive this treasure, but I like how the King James puts it, it's, but it's been given to us in, in earthen vessels. He says that we are like earthen vessels, that we're like clay pots. And we have this gift inside of us. And I like this illustration. If you take a cup and it's empty, Right? And you start to fill it. It takes a certain amount of liquid to fill it up, right? And then once it's full, it starts to overflow and to affect its surroundings. But if, if you're filling up a cup and it's got a crack in it, what happens? It starts to leak out. So in order for that cup to overflow and to affect its surroundings, what has to happen? has to be continually refilled. It has to continually have something pouring back into it. And in a sense, I think that that's how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Right? He fills us, and it starts to overflow and impact those around us. And, and, and that's what has to happen. First, it has to fill us before it can impact those around us. But because we are cracked earthen vessels, we leak. And we always have to be being topped off. We have to be being refilled through prayer, through Bible study, through worship, through fellowshipping with the saints. Not experiencing all that the Lord has for us, I think mostly that's because we're not being refilled and topped off by the Holy Spirit. I think we all know Ephesians 5.18. Paul says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And the Greek grammar there is interesting. That phrase, be filled, it's sort of a, a continuous thing. It means to, to be being filled. And the um, complete Jewish Bible translates it like that. It says, keep on being filled with the Spirit. And I think that that is so crucial. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. Do you want to experience abundant life? Keep on being filled with the Spirit. Spend time with the Lord in prayer and worship and Bible study with other believers. And as we continue in that, we'll begin to experience this abundant life that we're talking about. And now I have told you, before it takes place, 
so that when it does, you may believe. You may know that approximately one-third of the Bible is prophetic in nature. And so many of these prophecies are, are so specific. In fact, so specific, I can say that word, so specific that critics say, oh, that prophecy had to have been written after the fact because it's way too precise. Because to do otherwise would be to acknowledge the divine inspiration of Scripture. Right? The Bible's filled with these kind of things. And, and what's the point of all these prophecies in Scripture? Is it just to entertain us, to excite us, to tickle our ears? No, I think it's to solidify the truth of God in our lives. When those things that are foretold come true, it gives us confidence in the other parts of the word that are difficult or that are hard to understand. I think when we understand prophecy and see its fulfillment, it gives us the ability to believe the promises of God. You know, if, if he's always been faithful, if he's always kept his word in the past, if he's never failed yet, or as Chris said, what did he say? I won't fail you again, <laughs> right? He hasn't failed yet from eternity past. He's probably not going to fail now. If he's never failed anybody in the past, this thing that you're struggling with this morning, he's going to be faithful to see you through that thing as well. That gives me confidence. It helps me to believe when my faith is weak. The last topic we're going to look at, the reality of, of the spiritual world. Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Jesus says, listen, fellas, I'm about out of time, and I'm not going to talk with you guys much longer. And we really see Jesus' heart as a pastor here. He says, look, guys, this is my closing comments. And he goes on for two more chapters. Right? He, kind of how we roll. But remember at this point, Judas has already left to betray Jesus. Satan's plan was beginning to go forward. This, this plan to have the Messiah murdered, to, to stop the work of God. And we need to understand that, that Satan is real. And he's not a little devil in a red suit with a pitchfork and a pointy tail. Right? He's real. And, and he's dangerous. And he's deceptive. And he's powerful. Jesus says, the ruler of this world approaches. And the word their world is cosmos. It means this world system, our culture, our society. He says, the ruler of this world system is approaching. Satan is on his way. He's looking to steal and kill and destroy. Peter says in 1 Peter 5.8, he's like a roaring lion, roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. But Jesus says, you know what? He's on his way, but he has no power over me because I'm not part of the world system. He has no authority over me because I am not one of his subjects. He might be ruler over all this. Jesus says, 
but I'm the king of kings. I'm the lion of the tribe of Judah. I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning and the end. He says, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to the cross, but not because Satan is forcing it, because it's the will of the Lord. It's because the Father wills it for the salvation of humanity. That's what I came to do, Jesus says. I came to die. And it might look like Satan has a victory for a while, but it only looks that way. Remember Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. There's this prophecy concerning Jesus. And it says, And the Messiah will be cut off, having appeared to accomplish nothing. And I like that. It only appeared that he accomplished nothing for a few days until the resurrection. And then we see who's really in control. And I like Jesus' last line here. Rise. Let us go from here. If we know God's plan, if we know what he wants from us, Jesus says, all right, now let's get to it. Let's get busy. And I think that the Lord would say the same thing to us this morning. You know what to do. You know you need to study my word. You know you need to obey my commandments. You know that you need to be filled with the spirit. You need to walk in my peace. You need to fulfill the father's plan for your life. You understand these things. Now arise. Get to it. Get to work, Jesus said. And so as we close this morning, and I really don't have two chapters left like Jesus did. As we close, I just encourage you to leave this place this morning filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, don't leave until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. As we continue to worship, come before the Lord. And as we leave, Let's leave ready to fulfill God's plan for our lives. Amen. Heavenly Father, this is a big passage and a lot of topics, Lord. I pray that you would help us, help us to, to remember 